turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm chapter 15. As we do that, I just want to make, I just want to mention again about the installation service next week. I just want to make sure that we all remember this is about the whole congregation, about us and what God is doing in all of us and where He's leading us and just coming together, thanking Him for His guidance and direction. Just a great time to fellowship together. So that is what the service is about uh, next next week at 4 p.m. Um, Psalm 15. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live in, on your holy hill, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things will never be shaken. You know, one of the things that I think is most important for us today as believers uh, is being able to be honest with ourselves uh, and truly searching ourselves. So many times we, we never get to the point of actually asking ourselves the difficult questions. I think I, asked, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but we never get to the point of actually uh, truly searching our hearts and being honest with ourselves because sometimes it's, it hurts a little bit, right? when we have to admit that there might be something wrong with us. We like to believe a lot of times that we're, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with us, right? We're, we're perfect. There's nothing that needs to change. Uh, but it's so, so vitally important today as the church that we would search ourselves and allow the Spirit of God to search us because you understand that uh, God isn't going to force Himself into your life. God knows everything. He knows what's wrong in our lives. He knows what needs to change, right? But He's not going to force you to do anything. So even though God knows everything, there is something that is significant with us going before God. And as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. That is drastically different. God knows everything, but there's something, he, there's something about giving Him the freedom and saying, God, I desire that You would search me and reveal my heart, that you might know me, that I might know my heart, and then we can start to move forward together. Uh, so that is so vitally important today, uh, is the church. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called uh, The Church Awakening. It's a great book. But he talked in the beginning of the first chapter about uh, how when he was younger, his grandfather had a cabin by a lake, and they would go out and, and go fishing and all those kind of things. And, and uh, he said one day his grandfather took him out uh, and and he was out by the bank right along the lake, and he drove a stake into the ground. Uh, and he explained to, his, to uh, Chuck Swindoll, his grandson, that uh, they were going to measure from that stake to the edge of the lake to see how much distance was there. Because every year the, the waves would come in, the storms would come in, and it would take a little bit of the bank off. So they put, they put this stake in the ground so they could measure and see how much of the bank was remaining. And the next year they came back and there was eight inches that was gone because they had had some storms and things. So, and he goes on to explain how they did this every year, that they would have this stake in the ground and they would measure the bank to see how much was there and how much was taken away through the year uh, from all the storms. And he said if they wouldn't have placed that stake in the ground, you never would have noticed, right? Because erosion happens slowly. 
the things that happen in our lives happen very, very slowly. And it's the same way in, in our lives. We uh, take the principles of God as a stake in the ground for us to understand where we stand spiritually. Where am I lacking? Where am I going? What does God desire of me? That is, it is the sure foundation to which I can look and, and say, okay, I am losing ground or I am gaining ground. I am moving forward in Him or I'm not moving forward. But too many times, if we're not willing to, to have something as a stake in the ground to gauge our uh, growth off of, uh, we start to, our spiritual life starts to erode and it happens so slowly that we don't even realize it. I mean, think of somebody who, who, I don't know, maybe they're a drug addict. Nobody woke up one day and just said, I want to be a drug addict. That's what I'm going to start doing. That's what I want to do with my life, right? It is one small decision here. And then the next day they make another small decision. They make another small decision. And finally they get to the place where they are so far out there and, and it's like you wake up one day and you don't even know how you got there. It's because it happens so slowly by making bad decisions one after another. It could be anything, not just addictions. It could be, uh, it could be adultery. It could be any, anything like that. I mean, the same thing with that, with adultery. Nobody walks up, wakes up one day, has a great marriage, and they're faithful to their wife, and just say, oh, I'm going to commit adultery today. It doesn't happen, right? It's from you making one decision, and the next day you make another decision, next day you make another decision, and, next, and then you find yourself in a place where you never ever thought you would have been, right? Because we make bad decisions, because we didn't have something in the ground, a stake in the ground for us to evaluate ourselves and understand uh, how I'm moving forward, or if I'm not moving forward, whatever it is. The Bible says to train yourself to be godly. Anybody that's plays sports seriously, what does it take for training? You don't just walk into a gym and randomly do things, right? You have a plan. You think through what you're doing. I've been to gyms. I'm, I'm not in saying that. I am not a person who puts thought into my physical well-being ever. You can ask my wife. I'm, I'm saying that I've been to the gym doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Is what I'm trying to say to you. Uh, I have been to gyms in the past, but I've seen people with notebooks and they're writing down every detail of what they're doing. They're writing how much weights they're lifting and, and everything. They're writing every detail of it down so they can keep track of what they are doing. Uh, you know, the same way if you're running marathons, I would assume, because I don't run marathons. I don't run anything except for the bases in softball, and I'm worn out by the time I get to first. Uh, but if you do that seriously, you're paying attention to the time so you can understand if you are making progress or not. My point is that what is vital for us today is to have some sort of way of evaluating ourselves to understand uh, where we are spiritually and where we're going and what God asks of us. Uh, if, you, if you look in, uh, you don't have to go there, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. He says, uh, understand this, in the last days there will be uh, times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so many times we read when the Bible says something like that and we think of all the people out in the world who aren't saved that that applies to. But he goes on in the, the end of verse 5, he says, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. 
He's talking about people in the church, people who claim to be Christians. If you read in Matthew 7, uh, people come to Christ and they're talking about all the things that they had done in his name. They cast out demons. They had done works for him. And Christ said what? He said, I never knew you. The point is, if you go through this and read all of these things in 2 Timothy, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, without self-control, loving pleasure rather than God, you can apply every one of those things sometimes to people who claim to be Christians. And the point is, again, I don't think many people had this amazing salvation experience and they were all excited about it and loved God and all these things, and then the next day they're like, well, I'm going to turn back to the world. It was one small decision after another. And they allowed the fire that was burning in them to grow dim or to be put out uh, because there wasn't something that they drove a stake into the ground and said, this is what God requires of me. This is what he, where He wants me to go. This is what He wants me to be. And I'm going to evaluate myself in light of this daily. And I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to evaluate me in light of this daily. And I'm not going to lose any ground. I'm going to make sure that God is working in me. So we have to have that thing that is set in the ground. And this is what I believe Psalm 15 uh, can be for us. Sometimes we make Scripture way more difficult than it needs to be. There are some things in Scripture that are difficult to understand. There are a lot of things in Scripture I don't understand. Uh, but I'm trusting that God will reveal those things. But sometimes we make the simplicity of the Scripture too difficult. Just meaning this, Psalm 15 uh, as we walk through this, I'll explain that more. But Psalm 15 is one of those simple things that says, uh, verse 1, it says here, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And then he goes on to explain the characteristics of those who would dwell on God's holy hill, meaning dwelling in God's presence. So verse 1 here, it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? So David is asking uh, you understand also that this psalm is not talking about the way to attain salvation, but it's talking about the life that uh, one would live after receiving salvation, the character that is instilled in them by the Spirit of God. And, and we begin after salvation to start reflecting the glory of God. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about people who aren't saved coming to know salvation. He's talking about you and I who are sitting here in this room who have received salvation. And what should we look like? Uh, so who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live in your holy hill? Uh, so he's talking about our personal character uh, before God. And then he goes on to answer the question that he asked. Uh, he says, he whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous. So who may dwell in the sanctuary of God on his holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. So in the scriptural sense, we're talking Basically about sincerely having an incorruptible aim at the glory of God. That everything that I do on a daily basis, number one, I would understand that uh, worship is not a matter of us coming here and singing some songs together. Worship is considerably more than that. Worship is uh, when I am in the workplace and I'm confronted with a difficult situation, I have the opportunity to worship God in that moment. I have the opportunity to worship myself, or I have the opportunity to worship God. I have the opportunity to do what I desire, what makes me feel good by ripping somebody apart because they did something that offends me, or I have the opportunity to hold my tongue and express the love of God and do what glorifies God. Everything that I do on a daily basis, every situation that you're confronted with, as I talked about last week, one of the most frustrating things 
for me is when I get on the phone with a computer and I have to give them all my information. Then you get on the phone with somebody. They transfer you somebody. You have to give them all the same information. Then they transfer you somebody else. You have to give them all the same information. For me, I don't do well in this yet. God's working on me. But that's an opportunity for me to worship God, right? What I'm saying is worship is everything that we do. So he whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous, meaning my aim is at the glory of God in everything. I desire to worship Him. I desire to glorify Him in every situation, no matter what it is. When my kids are frustrating, when they stay up all night, Jamie dealt with that last night. She let me sleep. Uh, But when life is difficult and stressful, my aim is at glorifying God. I might miss that sometime. I might fail in that. None of this is to say that we're ever going to be uh, flawless or not make a mistake, but my aim at least was to glorify God. Even if I, I even if I failed in that, my my aim was at the glory of God. So in everything that we do, our aim is at the glory of God, uh, in, in worshiping Him in everything. So then he goes on to say, He who speaks truth from his heart, he does not say one thing and mean another. His words. And professions to God and men agree with and proceed from the thoughts and purposes of his heart. So my aim is at the glory of God. And then everything that I say is out of the overflow of my desire to glorify God and worship God. You understand that as we desire to worship God, as we worship him in everything that we say and do, as we worship him in spirit and truth, as we take every situation every day as an opportunity to worship God, God will do something in us. He will tune your heart to walk with Him. He will tune your heart to hear His voice, to take on His character. His Spirit will enable you to live out His mission. So then, my desire is to to speak. Everything that I say, my words are conditioned by my heart that is set on glorifying God. My desire and everything is to glorify Him. And then, out of the overflow of that, my words come out. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 that a good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil out of the evil things that is stored up in his heart. That means that I have a choice what I'm going to store in my heart. That every day that I go out in the world, I have a choice what I'm going to take in. And you can evaluate your speech, and a lot of times that will tell you the things that you've been storing up in your heart. Again, the Bible says it clear. There's no way to mistake that. A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. If we, are, if we have a hard time controlling the things that we're saying, if we have a hard time in our reactions to people, if we have a hard time with patience, all those kind of things, a good starting point is to say, what, what are the things that I am taking in? I'm going to be honest with you. One of the things for me is a lot of times I, I'll read uh, a lot of political articles and try to keep up with that stuff, and I finally just... Just the other day I had to go to a point and I cannot take that in anymore. I can't take this in where it's one person arguing against another person, not against the substance of what they're saying, but my side's going to win. That's all it is anymore. Nobody cares about substance. It's just my side's going to beat your side. That's it. So my point is, I'm not telling you not to pay attention to political stuff. We need to be informed. We need to know what's going on. But when we are more... uh, we are more tuned in to what's going on with the arguments uh, in politicians than what God says in His Word, you can be sure that eventually your speech is going to start reflecting what we are taking in. 
And it doesn't just have to be politics. It could be anything. It could be you sitting down and watching a TV, watching your TV and all the things that we shouldn't be taking in as Christians. Eventually, that's going to start overflowing out of you. We have to be careful what we are taking in. So he who speaks truth from his heart, I speak truth because God has filled my heart and my aim is at glorifying him. And out of the overflow of what he has done in my heart, I speak. Uh, he guards his tongue. In verse 3 he says he guards his tongue. Uh, no slander is on his tongue. He who, he who does uh, his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. So a person who will not backbite or slander, the verb uh, is from a root signifying to go about and conveys the idea of uh, one who would go around from house to house spreading evil, an evil report of his neighbor. So he has no slanders on his tongue. He does no, his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. So the people that would dwell in the place of God, the people would dwell on the holy mountain of God is someone who would check their own tongue. And my, my, my heart, my desires would not be to go about spreading rumors about other people or talking about other people or rejoicing the failures of other people. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we're good at that, right? I'm not saying something that's not true, but did you hear what this person did? You hear, did you hear the way that they failed? Did you hear the way that they messed up? We're pretty good at that, right? You understand how serious God takes that. Why this would be a requirement of his people, that we wouldn't slander his people, we wouldn't do our neighbor any wrong. In Proverbs chapter 6, it lays out, uh, I think it says six things the Lord hates, maybe seven. Uh, but the last one here in, in Proverbs uh, 6, verse 19, it says, uh, Things the Lord hates, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. The things that God hates. One who spreads discord among, bro- among brothers. God hates that. You understand, there are things that, that God hates. And one is people who would spread discord among brothers. You know, there's sometimes even... There's sometimes where we personally might have a good point that somebody else needs to, to understand. But too many times we, we go about conveying that in a way that spreads discord. Too many times our words are not seasoned in a way that would express the, the uh, sacrificial love of God, even though we have a point and somebody needs to understand that point. We might be fully correct in what we believe and what we're saying, but the, the attitude of our heart sometimes is, I'm right and you need to know I'm right. And sometimes, people just simply spread discord. They just aren't happy unless there's a problem. I understand that happens. Even in the church, there are some people that are not content unless there is some kind of problem. The Bible says that God hates discord among His people and somebody that would spread that. My desire in everything should be to see God's people united. And even if I have a point that is correct, my ultimate desire should be that I am saying this so that we can come and be united. So that we can grow in love together. So that's what God desires. Uh, he who checks... Uh, and then the second part of this would also be uh, that he checks the tongue of others that he will not take up reproach against his neighbor. Uh, retailers of gossip and scandal will find their labor lost on him so... When somebody comes to me then 
and says, hey, did you hear this about this person? I would say, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't need to hear that. That's not something that's beneficial. That's not something that's helpful. And we, we too many times in the church are too fearful of telling someone, for the benefit of God's church, for the benefit of myself, for the benefit of this person you were talking about, I don't need to hear this, but let's pray for the person. Let's pray for the person to be restored. You understand, even in whatever you can look at and say that's the most vile of sins. I, I love this. Oswald Chambers said something along the lines of, the most vile of sinners can never reach the bottom of God's love. Now that doesn't mean that God's going to accept their vile sin. But that means that the, the most vile of sinners, the people that we think are beyond saving, God still looks at them and says, I can save them. If they would turn to me, I can transform them in a way that they would look totally different than anything that they have ever done. So my point in that is that in everything that we see, everything that we're confronted with, even when we're confronted with a person who has done something that is beyond what we can even imagine, somewhere within the Christian, the follower of Christ, somewhere within our hearts should still be the desire to see that person transformed. That should exist somewhere in us. That doesn't mean that we aren't hurt by things. That doesn't mean that we uh, accept sinful things. That doesn't mean any of that. That just means that I, number, we, the number one thing we have to understand is that our sin was vile enough that we deserved hell. It doesn't matter whether I think my sin was as bad as this person's or not. My sin, what it bought for me was hell. That's it. There was nothing less that was uh, acceptable for my sin in my turning away from God. But Christ has transformed me and brought me out of that the same way He has every one of us in this room who walk in Him today. Our sin deserved death the same way as the most vile sins we can think of. So if Christ can bring us out of that, and He has brought me out of that not by my own merit, but by His alone, I should desire that for other people. I'm not telling you that we shouldn't say things are wrong, that we shouldn't, shouldn't take a stand against things, because we should. But what I'm telling you is sometimes we need to do a better job of being loving uh, in expressing the love of God in our boldness and confidence to take a stand against something. And we'll get into that more someday. We'll be here all day if I do that. So he checks the tongue of others. I, I won't. I don't want anything to do with, with hearing something about other people that's not beneficial to them or builds them up. The next thing is he estimates people according to God's moral standard, not according to their wealth or status. Verse 4, it says, Who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Uh, a base person is rejected, however rich. A man who fears the Lord is honored, however poor. You know, sometimes in our society we have a way of elevating people who are in certain social positions. I mean, even as simple as sometimes we, we, uh, well, it's just entertainment. Uh, it can be sporting things or, or anything like that. I don't know why I was thinking. I have some penguin stuff in my office, and I used to have a lot more hockey stuff. I mean, a lot more. Uh, 
I'm not saying it's wrong to have that stuff, but one day I was thinking about that stuff, and and you have you have pictures of people that get signed by the people, and you hang them up, and you have them sitting in places, and you know one day, I, at least for me, I was just thinking, what what on earth is happening here that I am I have these pictures of men who are playing a sport that are signed sitting around and can't sometimes on TV tell exactly what they're saying, but a lot of times you can, from their mouth, you can tell they're saying something that uh, isn't godly. But my point is, in some way, what, what are we doing? Elevating people to that level where we would hang their signature. And again, I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying sometimes it's our attitudes. We are elevating people to places in life where we almost idolize them or we we look on them or uh, just sometimes our lives are revolve around being entertained by these people. And in that, we elevate these people. And how backwards that should be sometimes. You know, th- honestly, there are times even in the church where... Uh, Trying to figure out how I want to say this. There are churches that exist in the world where there is almost a hierarchy of social status, even within the church. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Not here, other places. I'm sure that doesn't ever happen. But there are places that I have seen where there are certain people on the bottom rung of the ladder and nobody really ever talks to them. Nobody really ever cares for them or asks, hey, how are you doing? Right? That happens sometimes. And what I'm trying to say with this and what I believe the Bible is saying, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, even if there is a person who fears the Lord but my personality doesn't necessarily match up with theirs, They might frustrate me a little bit, but I should still honor them because of what our Savior has done in them. I should still honor them over all of the people who have a certain status that I might elevate in the culture even though they are not a person of God. Uh, So we have to be careful that we are not elevating people who are not uh, fearful of the Lord, but honoring those who are fearful of the Lord. In verse 4, he is true to his promise. He keeps his oath even when it hurts. Though it might cost us a lot. Though it might cost us a lot when I say something that I will follow through with it to the best of my ability. When I tell somebody, when I make a promise to somebody, I will do everything I can to fulfill that promise. That's what God desires of his people. Verse 5, he is conscientious in the use of what he has. He lends his money without usury and does not accept the bribe against the innocent. He will not be one to bite, to devour, to oppress another by greed of gain, nor will he take a bribe to trick another man. So we have to be diligent then to make sure that our wealth and opportunity is never used for the destruction of others. Meaning that when I am confronted with an opportunity for gain, 
that I would evaluate who do I have to step over on the way to get this. And if I'm going to injure somebody along the way intentionally, then I'm not going to do that. However financially beneficial it may be, however, whatever ways you can think about it, not just financial, it could be anything, but whatever, if something is beneficial for me, an opportunity or financial gain, I would never pursue that if I'm going to have to purposely injure people on the way. And my desire would be to glorify God in that. And I would rather take a smaller paycheck than to injure somebody else purposely. So all of these things, David said again in the beginning, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And he says, He who walks upright and speaks truth, no slander is found on his tongue. He has concern for his neighbor. He has no intent to speak something that would hurt others. He doesn't elevate unbelievers to the place of honor that is due the people of God. His promise is binding and he will fulfill it to the best of his ability, even if it gets difficult. He doesn't take advantage of others with money or opportunity. He will not put himself in a position to gain anything at the expense of others. And then David says this at the end. He said, He who does these things will never be shaken. So all these things that he lays out, the, the characteristics of somebody who would dwell on the holy hill with God, the place where God dwells, be able to have communion with Him, to walk in Him. He who does these things will never be shaken. You see, I don't have to use my opportunity to injure others for gain myself because I serve the God that will never be shaken. I don't have to work to gain things because I serve the One who is my provision. Everything that I have is because of Him in the first place. So if I trust in Him, I don't have to injure others to try to get things. I don't have to speak badly of others to try to self make myself feel better. Because I serve the One who gives me worth. My worth isn't dependent on somebody else failing or evaluating myself in light of somebody else. My worth is found in Christ alone. That's it. I don't need anything else. So as the worship team comes up today, and we end here. You know, so many times people want to know what is God's will for my life. And a lot of times that means where, where am I going to be in five years? What work is God going to have me do? What are things going to look like? Am I ever going to have this or that in my life? Is this what God's going to have me do? You understand that so many times we overcomplicate that also. That is the totally wrong question. If we want to know God's will for our life, we should look no further than Psalm 15. God's will for my life is that I would walk blamelessly and do what is righteous, that I would speak truth, that I wouldn't slander people, I wouldn't do any, neighbor, any wrong to my neighbors or cast slur on fellow men. His desire is that I, wouldn't, that I would despise a vile man, but honor those who fear the Lord. His desire is that I would keep an oath even when it hurts. His desire is that I would use my money to honor Him. That's what God's will is for our lives. That's what His will is. 
We don't have to look off in the distant future and wonder what God's will is for my life. My, God's will for my life is be, to be conformed to His image, that I would reflect His character in everything, in all of my actions. That is His will for my life. His will for my life is that when we go out into our workplaces tomorrow, or you're with family, or whatever situation you're dealing with, that you would have your incorruptible aim on Him at glorifying Him. That is His desire, His will for you. That's it. And if you do those things, He will show you what what job you're going to work or where you're going to go. or He'll lead you one step at a time into all those things off in the future. But too many times we spend all of our time worrying about those things off in the distant future and we miss what He wants to do in me now. God's will is my holiness. That's it. You can leave it at that. What does God desire of me? He desires that you would reflect His character. And besides that, Anything in the future, we leave that to Him. We don't need to worry about those things. So as His church, as the Bars Mill Church of God, and individually as those who compose the church, if that stake, Psalm 15, was the stake pounded in the ground for you to evaluate the erosion, where would you say that you stand today? Have you grown from where you were six months ago or a year ago or two years ago or 20 years ago? And that stake will be in the ground for you to next year look back and say, I have taken steps forward. And I can see the blessings that God has poured out into my life because He has not allowed me to be the person that I was. Because I aim my life at working for His glory at glorifying Him in all things and the blessings of God flow into my life and transform my heart to reflect His character out of that. So today, again, we have the opportunity to use the altars if there's something that God is speaking to you about, if there are ways that you desire for Him to help you take steps forward, come today. If you just want to come to the altar today with thankful for, thankfulness and joy for what God has done in you, come today. You can do that at your seat. You can do that whatever you want to do. But do not miss again today. Do not miss what God wants to do in you. God speaks to us through His Word, but it takes us desiring to apply His Word. It takes us desiring... Uh, this is the last thing I'll say, I promise. Too many times we never move forward because, you know, especially in our culture in America, we are inundated with information. You can go to a Christian bookstore and there are countless books all over the shelves that most of the time give you contradictory information Uh about things that you're trying to study, contradicting other books they have in there. but Or you can get on YouTube and you can hear a million different sermons about anything. We have Christian radio stations. We get emails. We get texts of scriptures of the day. We have all these things that inundate us with, with information, Christian information. But so many times we, we, we go somewhere and we hear a sermon or we read a book and something really stands out to us and God speaks to us and and we're, the next day we're on to the next thing. We just hear things and never get to the point of actually determining what does this mean for my life? 
what do I do with this? If God is saying all these things in Psalm 15, what does that mean for how I have acted, how I have been, how I am now and where I am going? What does that mean for me? I'm just saying too many times we miss things because we're not willing to stop and evaluate it. So today as we, as we pray, as we move towards closing, just take some moments to evaluate what God is doing or what you need Him to do in life. God, we thank you today again for the opportunity to worship you and to be together. Father, we thank you for your living word that is living and active and able to cut deep within our souls. And Father, we pray today through your word that you would cut away the things within us that would keep us at a distance from you. Cut away anything that would be our own human desires or intentions. Father, help us to fix our eyes on You and have an incorruptible aim at Your glory at all times in everything that we do. Father, we love You today. We glorify You. It's Your name we pray. Amen. you please stand and take your hymnals and turn to page 103. 103.